Welcome into Loho Daily. I'm I'm Loho, Lawrence Holmes. I'm glad that you are listening to today's episode. I'm excited to talk with Madeline Kenny about this big story that happened inside of the WNBA and the NBA. The fact that there is going to be a bunch of games televised as a new television package for the WNBA on CBS Sports Network. On the face of it, and this looks like it's going to be 40 games, it looks like it's going to be something that's beneficial to both the WNBA and to CBS Sports, which is trying to move people and push people towards their cable platform. I usually try to go to a couple of WNBA games a year. Last year, I wanted to see Maya Moore play because I think she's the greatest of all time. No disrespect to Diana Taurasi. But I wanted to see her play, and I'm glad I did because now she's taking some time away from the game. So I'm glad that I got the opportunity to watch her. I In Chicago, where Elena Deladon used to play, and now she plays for the Washington Mystics, I thought that when they drafted her, and that was the draft with Brittany Griner and... I thought that they ended up getting the better player. I think that Elena Deladon is a really incredible player. But there's been a lot of question about what the future of the WNBA is and whether or not they're ever going to reach a point where the athletes don't have to leave the United States to make what they think they're worth. And my hope, and I don't, I don't know fully, and I'm hoping that Madeline can shed a little bit of light on this, that with a television contract, if there is interest and advertisers want to jump in, that some of that money ends up finding its way into the pockets of those players. Unfortunately, because the the WNBA has kind of been working at a deficit financially, it's caused some people to question whether or not the league can survive on its own or if it always has to be helped out by the NBA. And Adam Silver had a great quote in in the announcement of this saying that their goal is to grow the league. So I'm hoping that it is something that if you haven't been to a WNBA game, you should go. It's a lot of fun. I found myself enjoying it. And you have to stop looking at it through the lens of – the NBA. And I know that's hard because the two companies are tethered, but you have to stop looking at it that way. If you're expecting the same type of game, then you're going to be disappointed. And I think there can be enough room for someone to like both the NBA and the WNBA to like men's basketball and women's basketball. And I would suggest that you go check out a game in your area. See if you like it. See if you like the atmosphere. See if you dig it. I always like to see all the, the the kids that are there that are watching the WNBA. And on a lot of levels, you can see some of the greatest players that have ever played. And there's nothing wrong with that. So I want to talk with Madeline Kenny about that and about where this league is going because of this new deal. How did you find yourself being the beat reporter for the Sky? Um, Well, I've always kind of covered women's basketball, even at Loyola, and I did a little bit of WNBA coverage for Swish Appeal and SB Nation blog at um, 
when I was like in college and the opportunity arose at the Sun Times and I made it clear that I would be more than willing to help with the coverage of the team and it kind of took off from there. What don't people get about WNBA basketball? I think the biggest misconception is that the game isn't as exciting as men's basketball. And granted, it's not like an apples to apples comparison. I mean, just like looking at biology, you can say that men have a different body type than women. And so the game is going to be played with a little less physicality. Granted, it's still there. And they're going to play a different style. I think the biggest problem is that people that want to criticize women's basketball and say it's not entertaining have 99.9% of them have not watched any of any women's basketball period. Or what they've done is they've been flipping through the channels and they see that like one bad play where, you know, just like nobody can shoot to save their lives, which granted that happens in the NBA. We see that all the time, but when you see the big grand scheme of things, how it can be interesting, um, you don't look at that play as bad, you know? So I think people are just so critical of women's sports without actually giving them a chance. Yeah, and, and I wonder if – I know that the league has benefited financially, obviously, from being connected with the NBA. But from a social standpoint, if that's a negative for them because there's the inherent comparison that, quite frankly, I, I, I haven't noticed it with college basketball. Like, there seems to be a pretty clear demarcation line of – you're, no one's comparing what happened in the women's national championship to what happened in the men's. So I'm not sure why we end up conflating the two things on the professional level. Yeah, I think so. I think that definitely is a part of it. And I think at the college level, you know, they're not getting paid to play. And I think some people still have an issue with women in sports and have an issue with female athletes. And, like, you know, even when the U.S. women's national team was trying to argue that for more pay – there was always those people that were quick to say, oh, it's not the same as the men's soccer team, even though the women's soccer team is 10 times better than the men's national team, you know? Um, I think being a part of the NBA, it's beneficial from a revenue standpoint. I would like to see NBA teams do more to support their local team. Um, it's It's not like the Bulls, and I'm not criticizing the Bulls for this, but it's not like they ever have a Sky player, you know, come out to games and throw T-shirts or, a Bulls player goes to the Sky game and is wearing a jersey. You know, you don't see that often. So it'd be, it'd be nice to see a little bit more partnership between the two. I think that could really help promote the game. So what's your favorite part of, of covering WNBA games? Um, that's a good question. I think the biggest part for me and, you know, what makes me feel really good about covering it is hearing those stories about young girls that are looking up to these players and you know they they want to play sports and I think we've really shed that stereotype of being a tomboy and I think you know what the women are doing in the WNBA kind of helps inspire these young girls and so to be able to tell their stories and you know inspire that new generation is just really satisfying for me okay nothing nothing wrong with that did you play at all basketball yeah (laughs) <laughs> um, I played on the playground, but I was, you have to remember, I was 4'11", and so junior year of high school, <laughs> and then I had my growth sport. So, uh, no, I was more of the gymnast and cheerleader. Okay, I, I mean, basketball. <laughs> look, I, I, I've been there. I just, I just wonder, because, I mean, basketball is one of those games where you find out that 
people like Sneaky had a great pass. We're like, oh, yeah, I used to score 23 a game back in the day. Uh, and, and they're like, oh, that's real. Okay. Shocking. Um, I mean, you can usually point out people who play football. It's it's a little bit more of uh, inexact science to figure out who played basketball growing up. So, all right, let's talk about this new deal, this new deal that's in place between the WNBA and CBS Sports. What's the benefit for the WNBA? I mean, to put it into perspective on how massive this partnership is, it nearly doubles the league's national TV exposure. And that brings added value because with that, there's a potential for more revenue from partner corporate or corporations wanting to sponsor them or, you know, the ad revenue. So I think that this, this uh, TV deal can really help bring national exposure and you can see a profit off of that potentially. Okay. I know that that's been a thing of trying to figure out exactly where, where the, the league is going and what types of things are going to help the league grow it seems like you know CBS. Everyone's looking for live sports now in in broadcasting. That that seems to be the only DVR proof thing when you're you're trying to to build a network. I I wonder if CBS Sports is is the best platform for the WNBA just because it's still a a cable network that's trying to find its footing. I mean, it could be that that's a really good point, and I. I think that might be part of it, too. And I know that when I talked to the chief operating officer of the league, Christian Hedgepest, last week, she really said that they're trying to figure out this, like, right economic model because they they do want to pay the players more. They do want to give these players more opportunities than what they have. So you don't have, you know, what happened with Brandon Stewart getting injured overseas, you know, a month before the season starts. That's your reigning MVP. Like, that is a big loss for the league, um, both with, like, branding and – and, uh, you know, it could have an effect on viewership with the team. It could have an effect with attendance. Like, people want to see your star players come out, you know. So it could be that, you know, they want to have more live sports. And it also could just be they see an added value of having women's sports on TV. When you talk to players about playing overseas, what's their feeling on it? Um, I get some, like, mixed reaction some are like you know it's just part of the way it is and like we do it and then you know i've had one at least one player that said you know it's i do it to supplement my income but i i wish i didn't have to do it because when you're playing overseas and you're playing year round you don't have that luxury of an off season where your body can recover and your body maybe you've been playing on a sore ankle for the last month of the season you know you hear players all the time at the end of season are like oh yeah i've been playing with you know, not necessarily a stress fracture, but like a rolled ankle or whatever, and then they have the off-season to recover. WNBA players don't have that luxury, and that can create a problem with more injuries. So I think some players would like to stay in the U.S. year-round, and that could also help with, you know, personal branding and sponsorships and be able to go to things and get their name out there because that's another problem that I, I was talking to Cheyenne Parker on the Sky last week, and she said that, you know, she's really trying to work on her um, personal branding. But the problem is, is that she's overseas for half the year. Mm. So how can she make these connections if she's, she's not actually here? No, you're right about that. But I, I will tell you that someone who's I've gone, I usually try to go to a couple games a season. So last mm-hmm. year I wanted to go see the Lynx because I, I love Maya Moore. I love the way she plays. 
And I'm glad I did. And I joked about this in, in the intro. I'm glad I did because, you know, she's taking the year off. Um, so I'm glad I got a chance to, to see her up close. I will tell you, as someone who does a talk show in Chicago, I have been very frustrated with the sky's lack of uh, outreach when it comes to trying to get their players out here. Like I'm someone that that is available to them and have made that known, especially when Elena Deladon was playing with the sky, um, because I had a mm-hmm. great interview with her when I worked at Channel 5. And it's been so difficult to kind of nail them down on bringing their players around to talk about the game and, and to promote the product. Yeah, I mean, I haven't run into too many issues yet, but I have heard that from other reporters that they've had issues with that. And, I mean, it's a shame because you'd think they'd, they'd want that exposure and they'd want to help these players. Um, I know, like, Cheyenne, when I was talking to her last week, she said the biggest thing is that NBA players kind of have a mentor almost, or like they have people that say, this is how you, this is who you want to have partnerships with. This is who you don't want to have partnerships. This is how you do, you know, sponsorships and kind of what brands to represent. And WNBA players don't have that luxury. And I feel like um, they don't have, I mean, that's a team problem when it comes to like not being able to get their players out to radio stations and stuff. But I think it's also comes down to the league of just not, teaching these players how to brand themselves. Yeah, and, and I know that you said earlier that you want to see more NBA players involved. I, I know at the national level, I've seen your promos for the league where you have some of the biggest stars be involved in, in talking about how much they enjoy the game. Do the players themselves, the WNBA players, feel like they are peers with the NBA players and have their support? Or do they think they could get more support from them? That's a good question. And, um, you know, I've talked to a few players who feel like they could use more support. I know, like, LeBron James last year was wearing an Aces shirt, the new Las Vegas team, or it was San Antonio's team that uh, transferred to Las Vegas. And just him wearing that shirt and him speaking out about, like, I don't know if you remember this, but remember they had those travel struggle? They were stuck in an airport for, like, 36 hours and missed tip-off, and then they had to forfeit the game because they fly commercial. And, you know, I remember LeBron James tweeting about that, and that makes a difference, whether people realize it or not, but bringing awareness to what these players have to go through and their male counterparts that don't have to go through this same stuff. I mean, that really helps. I think the league, like the NBA or NBA players, can do more to help promote the league. Um, I don't necessarily want to speak on all on behalf of the WNBA players, WNBA players how they feel about it but I mean I and I, I don't know maybe there was a Bulls player that went to a game but I'm just thinking back I haven't really seen the Bulls do much to support the sky well what do you think that that incident last year taught the WNBA because it was it was looked pretty ugly for them when you you were kind of forcing players into what was a bad like safety situation where you got tired players and you want them to go play for a championship. So what do you think they learned from that? Yeah, I, you would hope that it would open their eyes to realize that they need to do more to invest in their players. However, the league kind of is, has their back against the wall because, like I said earlier, they're trying to figure out this right economic model to make this league thrive. And we've seen how the league has grown throughout the years. Um, like last year was the highest viewership across ESPN2 and 
NBT, NBA TV platforms since like 2014 or something like that. I think it was up 31%. But they still need to do more. And this is an interesting year for the WNBA because remember, in November, they opt out of their CBA. So those negotiations are going to start. And they have already made it clear, the Players Union has, that they want more transparency with what the league is doing with this money. And they, they want livable wages. They want to have better travel situations where they're not having to make this quick turnaround because they're flying commercial. I've flown commercial, and it, it, it can be a headache, especially when storms hit and, you know, they don't have to deal with the winter storms necessarily, but it can be a total headache, and it can be just physically and emotionally draining to just sit in that airport waiting for your next flight, you know. So I relate to that. But it's going to be interesting to see how the league handles these labor issues that they're facing up front this season. Who are the, the, the best spokespeople for the WNBA as far as the players are, are concerned from your experience? Uh, Nika, who is the president of the Players Union, she's really outspoken and really strong woman. Maya Moore, when she obviously she's on sabbatical this season, she's very outspoken. And even like I've seen Elena Deladon say some things. I mean, AJ Wilson, you know, there's, there's a handful of players that have said stuff. And, um, you know, I think on the sky, like you have Courtney Vandersloot and Allie Quigley and Cheyenne Parker, who have been pretty outspoken. So those are a few of them. A lot of them have, you know, taken to Twitter to share their experiences, though. Okay, so if we're having this conversation two years from now, how much progress do you think will have been made? I'm hoping a lot. I don't, I, you know, I'm, I can kind of see where the league is struggling with paying players considering that their revenues are so low. And, you know, so NBA players get like 50% of league revenue. WNBA players get 20%. Um, to put into perspective, like Brianna Stewart's base salary last season was $56,000. And then granted, she got like $40,000 with bonuses because she was the league MVP and everything. But that's still for your league MVP to make that low of money. You know, like that, that just is such an issue. And even the max contract is only $115,000. And these are professional athletes, you know. Um, granted, that's, that is a livable wage, but when you think about how much time and effort they're putting and, like, the tax on their body and everything, it's just it's going to be interesting to see how they handle these, handle these labor issues. I'm hoping that they see progress, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see, especially after this season. I think it'll be very telling. What type of pay do they make overseas? Oh, uh, a lot, a lot more. You know, like, I think they're starting in, like, the 100000 range. Huh. Um, yeah, so, like, they're making – that's how they're maximizing their income and supplementing their income is playing overseas. And even though the WNBA is arguably the most competitive league, women's professional basketball league in the world because, you know, there's so few teams and there's such a small roster on each team, like, there's not a lot of spots, you know, all these star players are going overseas because they're getting paid more. Are there any players that have decided to forego the WNBA and just spend their lives overseas? I'm sure there have. Uh, I don't really know any off the top of my head as, at this moment, but I'm sure there have been players that have said, you know what, it's not worth the 50000 to play during my summer. Like I'd rather take, take the time off and rest my body and get recuperated. 
But then again, with the WNBA, that's better branding for yourself in the U.S., especially if you're an uh, American citizen, you know? Have you ever seen the movie Love and Basketball? No, I haven't. Should I? Yeah. Like that. Terrible movie person. No, like that movie, like you, it should be on your radar because it actually, I mean, it's, it's, it's a what late early two thousands early two thousands rom com with Omar Epps and Sanaa Lathan, and mm-hmm. it, it's all about their kind of um, both are basketball players and it's their path that they're taking uh, from high school all the way through professional and one of the the significant plot lines in the is that Monica who is Sanaa Lathan's character goes and plays basketball overseas for a few years. And she she talks about, like, the difficulty of adjusting. So it's, it's like, one of the re- the ways I kind of look through the lens of women's basketball, like, that movie really opened my eyes to, at the time, and this is a story that supposedly takes place in the 90s, so right before the WNBA starts, and mm-hmm. and seeing how uncomfortable she was even with having great success in Europe was uh, an eye-opening experience for me. So I, I highly recommend that you check it out. I will. And I, to add on to that point, like I've talked to a few players that have said that adjusting to life overseas is not easy. You're so far away from your family. You're in a totally different time zone, like night and day, you know, and like, I keep going back to Cheyenne Parker cause she's the most recent person I talked to. And we had a, we had a long, like, 30-minute conversation about all kinds of different things, and she's a really good person to talk to. Um, and she was in South Korea, and that adjustment, she said it was like a military lifestyle. With They were practicing two times a day. Each practice was, like, three hours long. Like, Oh, my God. Had, like, it was literally you felt like you were in the military, you know? Like, I can't imagine living a life like that. She said she didn't have much time to, like, go out and let alone enjoy the culture or anything because her life was basketball. So I think that might be part of the reason why people come back, you know, to find refugee or refuge in the U.S. It's something you know, you know, like you you know this place, you know the culture, you're comfortable here. So, Well, one more thing before I let you go, and again, I appreciate you jumping on the podcast today. Uh, How happy are you that Porter Moser is back at Loyola? I I am pretty happy, you know. I when those reports started surfacing, there was a part of me that felt like he was going to stay just because of how much time and effort he put into the building this program and to see it come into fruition 2 years ago and then even now like they're building that new facility. I you know, there's a part of me that's like, you know what, he's too loyal to leave. And it makes too much sense for him to be at Loyola given his like Naperville background and stuff go to New York and to the St. John's program, it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. Granted, the money was good, but I'm, I'm glad to see him stay at Loyola because I think they have not maybe not another Final Four run in them, but they have another run in them. So I'm glad that I got a chance to talk with Madeline Kinney about Love and Basketball. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm not going to lie to you. It totally is. She raised some interesting points about the the salary issues in the WNBA and the the financial situation that the league finds itself in. My hope is that this deal with the WNBA actually and CBS actually puts them on a better footing 
because every time that I've been a part of a WNBA game, I've enjoyed myself. And I'm going to try to make sure that I can be as supportive as I can because I think these women play hard. And I think that they they deserve to 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 get more eyes on them. And I know that we're a market society and you, you care about whether or not the market can bear it or if, if the market has spoken. But I will tell you that I've always had a good time and I would highly recommend that you go see at least one game. Like pick an opponent, like pick when the Sky take on the Mystics and you can see Elena Deladon come back to Chicago because she's a terrific player. And I'm really sad she's not here. But Madeline's right about Courtney Vandersloot and Allie Quigley. Like they're great players. And okay, that 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 I'll end it there and just say that's that's my sermon. And I'll see you out at Wintrust for a WNBA game later on this season. Maybe we can do like a field trip or something. I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll put that I'll put that on the show and see if we can get a group of people that'll go check out the sky later on this season. Thanks for listening to Loho Daily. We'll have something fun for you again tomorrow.